titles don't minister, people minister. You can wear the title, but if you don't love ministry, nothing's going to happen. And Brother Roger has shown faithfully uh, is in faithfulness in the service of our church and ministering to our young people because he genuinely loves them, and it shows, and they know that. And I appreciate him. Amen. Appreciate those young people singing tonight. Wow. After that, they got me a little messed up. I'm, I'm between, I'm, I'm not always this way, but right now I'm between two messages, and Brother Buddy's got a flashlight on his phone that's about to blind me up here in one eye. There we go. <laughs> I think he's trying to mess me up. Oh, my goodness. See, this is what happens when you have two messages and you only get to preach once on a Sunday. And then you hear something like that. I could probably take that song and preach it for a sermon and an outline tonight. Oh, the love of God. Oh, my. Is there anything more amazing? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter number 42. The book of Genesis, chapter 42. How many know tonight that the devil fights with discouragement, disillusionment? He tries to hinder the work of God. He tries to destroy the work of God. He wants to change your mindset to something other than what it takes to do the work of God and the will of God in your life. We have witnessed over the years many in 30 years of ministry. I've seen a lot of them that, that just quit because of discouragement. They saw things that, 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 you know, wasn't even necessarily so. They just saw things or they got an idea about things or they got to thinking, you can't, listen, you can't backslide because of discouragement and have the right perspective. If you have the right perspective, it's, it's impossible to backslide over discouragement and disillusionment. Amen. But if you keep God in the right perspective and his will and uh, in your life, you can make it and the greater purpose of God will be done in and through your life. Did you at the jail tonight, Brother Buddy? Have good service there. Amen. Appreciate what Brother Buddy's doing. Also, our prayer meeting is Tuesday night. He has taken our prayer meetings for us. I will be here Tuesday night. I've had to miss three. And I understand that uh, they had an, an awesome prayer meeting Tuesday night. I'm looking forward to it this coming Tuesday night as well. Genesis chapter 42 and verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. And you'll take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. I, I want to preach on the danger of disillusionment, discouragement. But I want to use this title tonight. All things are against me. Would you point your hand this way and let's ask God to anoint us together. Father, we love you tonight. Father, we thank you for your touch. We thank you, Lord, for what we failed in this service. Lord, the choir singing and these wonderful young people that ministered to us. God, to just lift us up and encourage us so wonderfully tonight. I pray that you bless them, them and Brother Roger and Sister Candace and the great work that they're doing. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would move in this house in a mighty way among your people and we'll give you praise and glory for all this to be done. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You might be seated. In Genesis 42 and 36, you can hear the 
disillusionment and despondency of a father who has already lost one son, Joseph. Now another son, Simeon, is held captive in Egypt, and now the second man to Pharaoh is calling for his youngest son, Benjamin, to be brought in. And it was then as Joseph thought about all that had befallen him, what he was having to deal with in his life at the present, that he cried out in total despair, all these things are against me. Now when you understand the manner of speech and expression in Jacob's day and compare its meaning to our day, the literal interpretation is all things are against me or everything is against me. Now here was a man that was ready to give up and resign to the fact that life itself had turned against him and he had lived the rest of his life in misery and die a miserable man. Now we've, we've all seen the type over the years. They're the ones that have given in to the despair. They lose any hope of a brighter day. They're the ones that get sour and bitter. They're the ones that, that make you wonder over time how and why. You realize where they've come from and the experience that they have had with God and the testimony that they have had in the past. You look at them now and you have to wonder how and why did they ever get in the shape that they were in. And I've said this in reference to a few they are living like they were born during an eclipse on a rainy day, or maybe they just came into the world in an objective mood, or so it seems at the time, though we know that's not the case. But that path of bitterness and misery was the path that Jacob was on. Now, as you look back over his life, this is the same man that dreamed a dream in Bethel and saw a ladder reaching from earth to heaven with angels going up and down, and God stood at the top of the ladder, and Jacob saw him. This is the same man that wrestled with the angel. The Bible said he prevailed with God. What a testimony. And this is the same man that God Almighty himself had appeared to him in Paden Aram, and the Bible said blessed him there. Now this same Jacob thinks everything, all things are against him. Jacob's problem is this. He's so busy looking at the problem of the present in front of him that he cannot see deliverance down the road. What Jacob didn't know was what he was trying to figure out. God had already had it worked out. You see, all Jacob knows is what he can see in front of him right now, what's right in front of him, what's right there, and that is, number one, they've been in a famine. And then secondly, he sent his boys to Egypt to buy some corn. And then third, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong and in the worst possible way. Now all of these events has brought back all the emotion and the pain of losing Joseph. Now the possibility of losing Benjamin as well. And he says to his son, his sons, his boys, in essence, this thing is going to kill me. It's going to take me to the grave. In other words, I can't handle anymore. This is all I can stand. This is the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the end of the rope. I can testify tonight that there have been times over the years the devil tried to make me believe 
that very same lie. And I know in talking to many in this house today, you have faced those times when you've looked back over recent days and recent weeks and recent months, and it just seemed like the troubles and the problems and the trials, they never let up. It was one thing after one thing after one thing after another. And then you may have said, well, I'll be all right if nothing else happened and then something else happened. I can handle all of this that I'm having to deal with in my life. If this or that doesn't happen, and then that is exactly what's happened. Well, the devil then tries to cause you to blame God. He floods your heart. He floods your mind with discouragement and disillusionment and even tries to cause you to blame God for your problem. I want to tell you something, folks. If you ever believe that lie, I had someone say to me uh, a few months back, they said they'd faced a terrible problem, had gone through a terrible ordeal, and they said to me, they said, I'm still having some problems with God about what I've suffered in my life. Amen. I just shut that conversation down right there. I said to them, I will not listen to you blame God for any bad thing that happens in your life. You see, there are several reasons why we face what we face in life. Now, one of the greatest reasons, I, I talked about that a little bit this morning in the altar service, is ourselves. Sometimes we create our own problems. Is that right? Sometimes without the aid of spirits, without the aid of a devil, we just create our, our cause, our own problems. We make terrible decisions sometimes, and we have to reap the consequences of it. Even when we feel that prompting or that leading of the Holy Spirit not to say or, or not to do it, and we override that and we do it anyway, then the problems start coming in, and we cause our own problems. Then there are times that others cause us problems. We can't help that. There's nothing we can do about that. Sometimes somebody just gets us in their sights. Amen. They put a target on your back, and they come after you, and they create problems. And then sometimes the devil is just doing all of it. You know, he, he, he stirs this, stirs that. He attacks us in a spiritual way. He wars against our mind and against our spirits. And I've heard people say lately that that warfare is tough. And I want to tell you none of those three things that I've just mentioned is God's fault. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's others. Sometimes it's just the devil. And that's all there is to it. Sometimes it's a combination of the three. But don't ever let yourself get in the place where you point a finger at God and blame God and listen to the lies of the devil when the devil says if God loved you, he wouldn't have let you get in the shape you're in. If God God loved you, you wouldn't be sick in your body. If God loved you, your spouse wouldn't have filed for divorce. If God loved you, you wouldn't have lost this or, or suffered that. Amen. Well, the greatest men that ever lived, you find him in the book of Job. The book is named after him. The Bible said a man that loved God, amen, feared God and ran away from evil when he lost all that he had. When his wife saw his suffering. She came to him and said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? 
die. Amen. And the man of God refused to give in to that. Come on, somebody say amen. He said, naked came I into this world. I came here with nothing. I leave here with nothing. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me tell you one secret to overcoming in the worst of times, in the darkest hour, in the deepest valley, when it looks like it cannot get worse than it is. Throw your hands in the air and bless his name and praise his name and magnify your God. That's the way you throw the devil a curve. He's waiting to hear your curse. He's waiting to hear the testimony of your discouragement, your disillusionment. But when you say, thank God for the valley. Mm, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. But we get like Jacob sometimes. We get so busy looking at the problem that we cannot recognize the greater purpose of God. Amen. Look back over your life tonight at the times of trouble that somehow gave birth to divine intervention and the fulfillment of divine purpose in your life. Look, look at the times you've testified about the things that happened to you that you couldn't understand that were the very things that shaped you and molded you into who you are now and put you in a position where God could use you in a greater way. You see, what Jacob didn't know was that God had a hand in the events of his life. Jacob had a problem, but God had a purpose. Oh, my God, I want to tell somebody, amen, God has a purpose for you. Amen, you, you're not an accident. You're not a happen chance. My God, when you were in the womb, God knew you, God called you, and God had a plan for your life. It may not seem like it now. As you look at how it looks like the stars and the planets have lined up against you. Woo. Devil wants to plague you and weight you down and saddle you with some kind of a woe is me inferiority. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Nobody's faced what I've faced. Nobody has suffered what I've suffered. Amen. It's the worst as it's ever been for anybody anywhere. And it's all come to me. And nobody loves me enough to pray for me. Nobody loves me enough to help me. My mother's mother, when she was alive back before, of course, she passed away. Uh, she had a, I, I loved her, love her still. I miss her. And she was a wonderful, wonderful person, but she had a way of looking at the negative things in life that, you know, affected her in a personal way. I mean, she, that was back before the Internet, and, and uh, every time Granny had a pain, she had, she had self-diagnose. Amen. Let me tell you something, folks. Don't, don't do that. And if you feel like you got a problem, you pray about it or go see a doctor. Don't go online. 
I can't tell you how many times I was ready to sign my death certificate. Come on, see. Amen. Oh, it's my heart. It's my, I've had a, I'm going to die. Sure as a world. Right here when it looked like everything's going to be over. Amen. And, and my grandma would have a pain in her side, and it was cancer. She'd have a pain in her back, and it was something else. She'd get a headache, and it was a stroke of coming. Amen. It was always, you know, just the worst of the worst of the worst. One day, Grandma was talking. We were sitting on the, on the front porch out there, and, and she said something about something that's hurting somewhere. And I, I said it because I was praying with her because I knew what her response was going to be. I said, oh, Lord, Grandma, you have suffered more than any. And she looked at me, and she said, it's the God's truth, son. Amen. It's a God's truth. You listen to me. Don't self-diagnose. Amen. Don't pronounce your condition when you don't really know what your condition is. Your condition has more to do with your position than it does what you're facing in a spiritual way at the time. Don't pronounce negative things over your own life. Come on, somebody say amen. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. Magnify God and realize whatever you face. The Bible said all things work together. Somebody say all things. All things work together for our good who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. The devil may have a stratagem. He does for sure. But God's got a plan. And God's plan outrides or outruns and overrides a devil's strategy for your life every single time. It's the devil's job to mess you up. It's the devil's job to mess with your head. It's the devil's job to make sure you lose sight of what God's promised and what God wants, what God will do in your life. That's what the devil does. Don't do his job for him by agreeing with him. Oh, come on, somebody say amen. Just because things are topsy-turvy, upside down, going wrong. Jacob had a problem. He didn't realize God had a hand in what was going on. God had a purpose. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. God's going to help somebody here. You see, Jacob's problem was a great problem, a terrible problem. He said, I have lost a son. I've lost a son. But in the problem, God had a purpose, and that was to use the son to preserve a nation. And so God took Jacob's problem and made it his own purpose because God had a plan before Jacob ever had a problem. God, uh, God, my God's got a plan before you have a problem. Amen. He's got a solution before you have a problem. God's got an answer before you start questioning things. Look to him. Trust him. Believe him. Man, so what Jacob thought here was going to kill him. He said, oh, boys, this thing's going to kill me. I'm an old gray-headed man. I cannot stand this kind of stress. I cannot take these kind of problems. This is going to do me in. It's over with. I'll have a heart attack. I'll have a nervous breakdown. I'll stroke out. I can't take it anymore. It's going to kill me. How many has ever said this thing's going to kill me, but you're still here tonight? There's two honest people here so far. Has anybody else ever said this might kill me, but you're, there we go. 
There we go. So the very fact that you're still here tells you how wrong you was. Now, some of you obviously have a problem admitting when you're wrong, but I'm glad you finally, glad we crossed that line tonight. And that, now you can, but that was obviously a lie of the devil. That was ob obviously the, the wrong, let's see, a diagnosis is what's wrong, right? And a prognosis is what's coming. Is that right? Get that right? So that was obviously the wrong prognosis over your life. Though your diagnosis may have been somewhat correct at the time, the prognosis was this is going to kill you. This is going to block your progress. This is going to destroy a ministry. This is going to shut you down. Yet here you sit. Here you stand. Here you are. So you found out one more time that the devil is a lie. Somebody say the devil's a lie. The devil's a liar, the Bible said, from the beginning, and the father of all lies. Don't believe the devil's report, and don't pronounce negative stuff over your life that's contrary to what God says. Stand on the word of God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody raise your hand and say, I choose to trust God with the outcome of it all. Amen. So what Jacob thought was going to kill him became the reason he could live. The nation would be preserved that would stand as a testimony that no matter what it looks like, God knows what he's doing in my life and in yours. While Jacob couldn't understand why he lost a son, Joseph was being shaped and molded to preserve a nation that would be a testimony in a greater way of a greater God. You see, Joseph, Jacob lost a son, but God took Joseph. He taught him humility through rejection. You may wonder, why must I suffer this rejection? Sometimes there's some lessons that we just have to learn that life affords. Come on, say amen. Secondly, he taught him servitude in Potiphar's house. We have to come to a place somewhere in life of humility and servitude. And he put iron in his soul in prison. He gave him divine wisdom through revelation. Then God made him a ruler in Egypt. And so what Jacob thought was meant to kill him was God's way of saving him in a famine and preserving a nation that would bear his name. It is amazing the good things that come out of bad times. It is amazing the miracles that come from bad situations. One thing I love about Christ, one thing I love about serving God is there are some revelations of God I cannot receive or know until I need God in a particular way. When I need healing in my body, amen, I, 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 the healer reveals himself. When I need restoration in my spirit, he's the restorer of my soul. Amen. When I need help in the battle, he is the captain of a host. He is the Lord, strong and mighty. And in the particular trials and crises of life that I deal with, amen, rather than giving in or giving up, I've learned to allow God to reveal himself himself in a way that makes that situation doable. Amen.
The disciples are on the sea, the Sea of Galilee. Third watch of the night, storm is on that sea, waves, wind, thunder, lightning. They've done everything they can do. Looks like they're all going to die. But they see a figure walking to them on the water. Some got scared. They heard the words, be not afraid, it is I. Amen. They saw Christ in the storm. They saw Christ in the storm. Now, in that storm at the time, though, they saw something that was going to kill them. But one of them in that boat said, this is a good time for a revelation. Out of all of them in the boat, only one got a hold of it. He realized Jesus shows up for reasons. Come on, say amen. I said, Jesus shows up for a reason. And Simon Peter must have said to himself, Everybody else thinks this thing is here to kill us. But it's obvious to me now, because Christ is here, there's a revelation we need and a lesson we need to learn. Hallelujah. So it's in a storm at the third watch of the night when it looks like all hope is lost in shallow Galilee that Simon Peter and the disciples in the boat experience a theophany, and that is the divine presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my. That thing may be bad that you're going through. I mean, what that doctor told you may have left you without or with very little hope. That situation may look impossible. Oh, I'm telling you, when a revelation of Jesus comes in the middle of it, though, it, it produces, it makes you say, Looking back, if I had to go through that to see him in that way, then that was worth going through to experience him. And that's the wonderful thing about the Lord. Amen. He always comes to us when we're in trouble. And if we'll take a hold of what he's trying to do in us and for us, amen, the experience that we had to suffer to get there isn't so bad. It's a learning experience. It's a stepping stone. It's, it's a way to propel us and move us further. Let me tell you something about revelations from God. Once you see God in certain ways, you can help others along the way who have yet to experience what you have seen because of what you went through, and you turn that thing into ministry. How many times have I, over the years, or others in this house, slipped their arms around somebody and said, everybody may not know what you're facing. Everybody may not know what you're going through. Because I know, but I know, because I have been there. And I just want to reassure you, and I want to let you know, amen, that when there's no food in the cupboard, and it looks like you're going to starve, and you get out on your knees and pray with tears that somehow from somewhere God always supplies. You slip your arm around them and say, when you're broke, busted, and disgusted, don't have two nickels to rub together. Amen. You quote to them a scripture that you have lived. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You may tell somebody, I've been there with that diagnosis and prognosis. I've had a death sentence pronounced over my life by doctors, but I'm healed and I'm here today. It ain't over till God says it's over. So now we also know that 
while God allows some things, there are times when bad things happen to good people. Here's a difficulty. A woman that we know in my wife's family years ago was at a prayer meeting at church. Her two-year-old, two, slipped out the doors of the church into the parking lot. A sister left the prayer meeting early and backed over that two-year-old girl's head. Mother, an innocent child. The woman who backed over that child, a good woman, a saint. Now, you don't run up to people at that time. I've seen people make this mistake and say, and we know that all things work together for good. Them that love God, somehow God's going to bring something good out of this, though that may be true. A lot of times it's spoken in a way that God obviously had a reason for something like this to have to happen. And that may very well not be the case. And so you have to be wise and you have to pray. You pray, you become a comfort, you become an encourager. What can you say? What can you say to ease a mind or bring comfort to a soul when such a terrible, tragic loss has just occurred? And sometimes people come like this and they don't realize. I've had them say to me, you tell me why God would do this to me. I didn't try to prove a point. I never argued with them, amen, and said, well, it's because of this or it's because of that, and you'll find it out one day. I've looked at him and said, I do not know everything, but I do know this. God is faithful to us in the good times and in the bad times, and we'll know all about it in the by and by. Now, that I can say with confidence. They have to live this. I said they have to live this. And I want to tell you something tonight. No matter what you face, no matter what you go through, it doesn't negate the fact that God is faithful. Amen, that God loves us. A phone call can change everything. A sunrise can change it all. But God is our only hope in the last mile of this life. And in all that we face, don't ever point a finger of accusation in the face of God. Don't turn away from the solution to what you deal with in the bad times. No matter how minor or bad it might seem because God loves you, God's faithful. And somehow in his time, God's going to turn something around. God's going to move in your life. God is going to work a miracle even after the worst of times and reveal himself to you in a way that you look back and you say, I now know something of God that I would not, could not have known. And a greater good came. That's what he's saying here. We know that all things work. That's something in progress. We know that all things work together for them, for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And then Psalms 5 and verse 11. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Who you trusting in tonight? A doctor? A lawyer? Come on, a banker? Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Trust him and he'll turn that trial into a blessing somewhere.
along the line. Let's look at some reasons for disillusionment. We look at Jonah, the prophet. Now, things didn't work out the way he thought God said they would. He misunderstood some things. And after one of the greatest revivals in the Bible, the Scripture said, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. God didn't live up to Jonah's expectations. Notice what I said, Jonah's expectations. Well, I thought, I figured, I was wondering, I, I was sure, amen. His ways are above your ways. His ways are above my ways. But his way is the right way. Oh, my God, no matter how he gets us there, no matter how he does it, even through the things we don't understand, God's way is the right way. Amen. That Jonah is disillusioned because he wanted God to destroy the Ninevites who he hated, but God made him go preach to them anyway. And in Jonah 4 and 3, therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee my life from me, for it's better for me to die than not to live with this. Man, some people never learn. Some people never learn. He ought to known when he got on that ship to Tarshish and tried to run from the will of God and God prepared a fish to swallow him whole and spit him out on the shores of Nineveh and tell him to go preach. It is time for him to quit thinking the way he thinks doing things the way he does things and just resign to whatever God wants done and wants to do. But Jonah's just another hard-headed preacher. He's still trying to do it and figure it out and make it work his own way. Well, if I've got to go preach, the Holy Ghost talking to somebody here tonight. Feel it. Well, if, if I've got to go preach to them, at least God's going to kill them. But then the Bible said they repented from the king to the babies. Everybody that was old enough to repent, repented. And Jonah said, I can't live with this. I can't handle this. Therefore, now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. God said, we're going to teach you some lessons here. Here's the great danger I'm going to get to here. When you persist in doing and thinking and figuring and going in your own way, God will give you a shot. God will give you a chance. Before God prepared that fish to swallow Jonah, God could have killed him for being a disobedient prophet. God could have had him thrown out of that ship, out of that boat, and let him drown in that water. He could have just let him drown. God could have called somebody else to take that message to Nineveh. But God's still giving Jonah a shot. And look what Jonah does with the chance God gives him. Amen. He said, just let me die. This didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Let me die. This didn't work out the way I thought it would. Let me die. I am disappointed in you, God. Just let me die. Come on. Then the Bible said God prepared him a shade tree, a shade tree prepared for this pitiful prophet. Called down, uh, called him down to get his attention. The next morning caused a worm to eat up his shade. And he was teaching Jonah to appreciate the providence and the works of God. God, no matter what they might be or how he might think. But apparently Jonah hadn't got the point. Amen, a hard-headed prophet. Then God caused a fierce wind to blow, and the sun was so hot that Jonah just passed out. He fainted, couldn't take it anymore. When he could have been praising, when he could, my God, you let me go somewhere and God give me a revival in the nation. 
I'm going to shake everybody's hand. I'm going to hug everybody's neck. I'm going to shout till I pass out. Amen. I'm going to be thankful for what God has done. But Jonah still don't get it. He still don't get it. God, God's, oh my. Now, now there's a fierce wind blowing. Jonah says, I can't take it anymore. Passes out. God's lesson for him was you don't sit around and feel sorry for yourself or figure out that you, you come to a conclusion that God's wrong and God's done it wrong because things don't work out the way you think they should. It can always be worse. You think this is bad, Jonah. I'm going to let a worm eat up your shade tree and let you lay out here in this hot sun with a fierce wind blowing that's so hot it stings your hide Do you pass out. I mean for you to understand it can always be worse will be worse and it will get worse if you continue to go in your own way and give in to disillusionment and discouragement and think your way was better than God's. Elijah felt like he was the only. Now the tragedy in the book of Jonah is after this and anywhere in the Bible after this event, you never ever read of Jonah ever prophesying to anybody again. Everything happened before this time. There is no more, or there are no more scriptures in the Bible that, that give a prophecy or speak of a work that says, Jonah, the son of Amittai, he lost a ministry right there. You can lose a ministry. Not just lose a relationship with God. You can lose, a, uh, not just lose a ministry, rather. You can lose a relationship with God if you give in to disillusionment, this, this, this despondency and discouragement and all that brings that and all that comes with that. You give in to that and it'll be over with. God won't tolerate that, by the way. God won't tolerate that. There's a lot of things God will tolerate for a while, but he won't tolerate the feel sorries and the you've done me wrongs. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. that that's an ender. That's an ender. Elijah felt like he was the only one left was doing anything for God or suffering for God, suffering persecution. Self-pity got a hold of him. And he said, I am all that is left. Everybody else, God's worshiping Baal. God, everybody else, I'm the only thing you got left. What an insult that is to God. I'm the only one preaching the truth. We're the only church God is standing we're the only people in the world trying to do the will of God. And here we are fighting all these battles, going through all these trials. To insinuate or think that God can't do something beyond you is an insult to his omnipotence and omniscience. So Elijah said, Lord, here's a man called fire down from heaven. He said, God... I'm the only guy left. I'm the only prophet left. This is it. And God didn't sit down with him and say, bless your heart, Elijah. No, no, I understand, what you're, I understand how you're feeling. I, I, I sympathize with your self-pity, your despondency, and your disillusionment. Now, you've just, you, hey, you just caught fire down from heaven, and almost a thousand prophets have been slain. You've just experienced one of the greatest victories and outpourings of anybody in the history of everything. And that mean old Jezebel said she wanted to cut your head off. Now let me sit down here with you and sympathize with you and pity with you over this. Now what God did, 
God said, here's what you do. God said, go. Anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, Jehu to be king over Israel, and listen, listen, Elisha, somebody hear me, Elisha to be prophet instead of you. That period of despondency, disillusionment, self-pity, that, that, that insult, that accusation may not have cost him his soul, but it cost him his office as a prophet. It cost him his ministry. And the guy that was coming up behind him said, I want to work twice as many miracles as you did. Oh, my, I want to tell you, amen, God's got a plan and God's got a man. I want to be God's man. Amen. I said, I want to be God. I don't want to do your job, but I don't want anybody doing my job. So I got to keep the right perspective. I got to keep my faith and my hope in the living God, no matter what the devil throws my way. I'm going to move on here. John the Baptist felt forsaken. He's in a prison. Jesus didn't even come to visit his cousin. The work was too great. To, it, the work was great. John's having trouble now. He's done wrong for doing good, and he had to get a word that this man was the Messiah. Or have I done everything for nothing? He didn't make a pronouncement. Amen. He made an inquiry. Oh, God help. There's a difference in an inquiry and an accusation. Elisha's was more on the lines of an accusation. Jonah, that was an accusation. But John's making an inquiry. John is essentially saying, I might not be seeing things like they really are. Somebody help me to see things a little more clear. He sent somebody out and said, come back. I feel God. And tell me what you saw. Amen. Blind seeing deaf hearing. Uh, amen. Devils are being cast out and the poor receiving the gospel. And John said, I knew it. I just knew this was a trick of the devil. I haven't lived this life for nothing. Amen. It all counts for something. I want to tell you it counts. I want to tell you it matters. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what the devil says. Do the will of God. Do the will of God. Look at those isn't it good when God sends somebody by to help you see the way a little more clear? Maybe God laid you on somebody's heart. Maybe your pastor got up and preached. Two things usually go through people's mind when you start plowing close to the stalk. Two things. Number one, he's preaching right to me. He knows. He's been told. Or I've talked to him, and now here he comes. Well, of course I know. You see, that's the challenge of sitting in one place pastoring for 20 years. There's very little about most that I do not know. But let me tell you what the second greatest challenge of that is getting up and loving somebody and have enough courage to preach it anyhow, even when you know there's a good possibility they're going to get mad, and sometimes they get mad and leave the church. Amen. They want to go somewhere where... Ah, oh, we ain't got time for that, do we? Amen. Let's leave that. Let's leave that mule in the stall. No, don't do me that way. He said, they want to go somewhere where somebody won't mess them up, mess with them. Amen. Tell Pat, I'm sugarcoat. Every agree with everything, and and then not 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 pronounce any kind of requirements over their life, or tell them anything they do wrong. Oh my God! Listen, if it was good enough for me, it's good enough for you. You take it. You ain't gonna die. 
Come on, somebody. My God, if you can take it, you can make it. But the first thought that usually comes, he's aiming at me. He's shooting at me. Secondly, there's a still small voice that says, I am trying to talk to you through the preaching of the word of God. Come on, somebody say amen. Hey, believe God. Yield to that still small voice. Let God talk to your heart and be obedient to him. Be obedient to him. I'm going to close here. Look at those in contrast who refused to give in to the despondency. Paul the apostle, at the end of his life, I mean forsaken by most in a prison, about to get his head cut off. Amen. He said, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And he looked back over his life. Rather than cry and whine and moan and groan and, and bellyache and, oh, here I am after all I've done. He looked back over that life. And he came to this conclusion about the best thing I've got left to do is die well for my Savior. But as I look back, here's what he said. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He watched Demas forsake him for the bright lights of Thessalonica. He watched him turn back to the beggarly elements of the world. But here's the apostle Paul said, I'm about to wrap this thing up. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I press toward the mark for the prize of a high calling in Christ Jesus. I'm about to see him. I'm about to see him. Head, my God, I'm about to get there. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. You love his appearing and the hope of his appearing more than giving in to the present stress and circumstances. There is no hope of recovery when you give up. I'm, musicians, if you'll come help me close. When you give up in the face of whatever you're dealing with, there is no hope of recovery if you lose faith. Here's David. He was doing what needed to be done as king, as leader here, leader of these men, doing the right thing, and he lost everything. He lost it all. While he was out fighting Ziklag, has been burned with fire. Their wives and children, along with all their possessions, are gone. And human nature kicks in with those men who have fought with him, went with him. Now that things are bad, not only in David's life, but things are bad in theirs as well. So it's got to be David's fault. And his own men spake of stoning him. That happens. That happens. Here was what David could have done. I don't blame y'all. I led y'all out when we should have stayed home. For one more victory, we've lost our possessions, everything we own, and our wives and our children 
But David said to himself, before I give in to everybody's opinion of me, listen, God had a purpose for you before anybody else had an opinion of you. And it is the purpose of God being worked out in your life through the crisis, the trials, the struggles, the ups, the downs, the mountains, the valleys. It is that ultimate purpose that is what you're striving for. That's your goal. You always you lose that and give up. Now you have nothing. The Bible said David was greatly distressed. Has anybody ever been stressed to the max? David was greatly distressed, and I am closing, for the people spake of stoning him. Why? Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son and his daughters. I can't imagine a greater grief. But here's probably what they thought. If they took him, they probably killed him, or their slaves, and they're gone forever. Isn't it amazing how bad times cause us to look at worst-case scenarios? Hey, we're done. It's over. This is it. Let me tell you something. There have been a lot of Monday mornings after Sunday night meetings after church that I've just about been ready to turn in resignations in the three churches I've pastored, in, of course, including this one. But a lot of times I've said the only recourse, the only thing, the only answer is to do something different. But it don't work that way. You see, that's a natural propensity. If things are bad, surely they must get worse. But did you know sometimes things turn around? They said, let's see, David David's was in great distress because the soul of all the people. For the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters. There have been times I've said, now preach to me because I don't want to offend you, but there have been times I've said, it's too much. I had to go in a different direction. I got to do something different. When God had a plan and God had a purpose all along the line, I just had to go through this to learn something to get there. They gave in to the despondency, but the Bible said, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. Stand with me here. They looked at worst case outcome. They looked at worst case scenario. But David stuck his thumb under his chin and pushed his head up and looked to his God. Who got the word from God? Was it those men that wanted to stone him? Who got the command from God? Was it those men that were so grieved till they couldn't see a turnaround? They said, let's just end this whole thing by killing him and we'll either elect us another leader or we'll go a different direction. We won't be doing this no more. If we ever do get a life back, we won't lose it because of somebody like him saying, God told him to go this way with us. None of those heard that command from God, but the one that looked to him, God said, that's what you're supposed to do, son. He said, get up, go, and recover all. So we have two choices, don't we? When life gives us the worst that we could possibly face at the time, we can accept that and look at things as getting worse, or we can look at that ministry that never happened, never occurred, Nothing will ever get better. 
or we can say, God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And somehow I'm going to learn something from this. God's going to turn this thing around. Everything God said to me is going to bring it to pass. In closing, young people, graduates, life is full of disappointments. Cheer up. It's going to get a lot worse. Oh, you ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's some heartbreaks out there. It's almost unimaginable. There's some things you're going to deal with make you scratch your head and cry for days. But you can look at all of it in one of two ways. An obstacle that stops you right there or an opportunity to look to Him and let God give you a way over, under, around, or through it and teach you something along the way as you move toward that ultimate purpose of God being worked out in your life. You'll face that on your job. You'll come to that choice on your job, in your home, in your church, in your ministry, your marriage, whatever. Those choices always come along the line. Choose every time to believe God. Because what it looks like isn't always the way it is. Not when God has the final say. Somebody say God has the final say. Father, in the name that is above every name, the holy, wonderful, mighty name of Jesus, God, I stand here behind this pulpit and I've preached to a congregation tonight with people in it that others have made pronouncements over and declared that they would never be where they are today. But for you, you brought them to where they are. There may be some here tonight, Lord, that cannot see the possibility of ever fulfilling a dream. There may be some here, God, that are going through things in their body, their mind, their spirit, Whatever the area or angle of attack, the enemy's trying to shut them down and perhaps they're giving in to that despondency and disillusionment and discouragement. But I pray tonight somebody will make their mind up to look to you and see you as the solution to the problem and the hope in spite of what they're facing. I want to praise you tonight because you're a good God. And I want to praise you tonight because you're faithful. I pray, Lord, tonight that somebody in this congregation would be greatly encouraged. Let them reach out with faith and take a hold of the promise of God. Move on into their tomorrow with confidence that what you have started in their life, you're able to complete it in the name of Jesus. Touch our graduates and our young people tonight. I pray, God, they'd ever put their faith and their confidence and their hope in you. Move for us. Around these altars in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to give somebody who may be fighting a terrible battle. Maybe health, mind, I, I don't know, spiritual. But you're going through a battle and the devil's trying to discourage you, trying to get you to give up. Maybe like Jacob, as you look back, it's, it's been one thing after another and after another. About the time you think you're getting on top of things, something knocks you back down again. We've all of us been there. But tonight, you know God's talked to you from His Word. And He has reaffirmed something that you really already knew, and that was that God will make a way where there seems to be no way if you'll trust Him. Is there anybody here tonight that's going through something that's potentially devastating? Outside of a move of God, I want to give you the opportunity to step out first. We're going to pray with you when you come. 
God sees and God knows. Maybe in your home, the Lord knows all about that. I don't want anybody to leave here tonight without us praying for you, without God touching you in such a way that you know you can deal with your tomorrow with confidence that God's got it under control. Maybe somebody's here tonight that the devil has tried to cause you to point a finger of accusation at God. I'm having trouble with God about this. There's a difference in an inquiry and an accusation. But I'm having trouble with God about this. Well, there's a difference and I don't understand it. And why did he have to let this happen to me? You see the difference there? Why have I got to go through this? Why have I got to deal with this? How come, God? Man, let God touch you tonight. You come to him with an open and an honest and a sincere heart. I tell you, that is the beginning. That's the first step to a journey of greater victory and the fulfillment of all that God wants to do. But there's somebody here tonight that, that over and over and you're constantly discouraged. You look at your life, you look at your situation, you look at the way things are. By the time you make the forward progress or think things are going to get better, right back down you go. You've wept, you've cried, you've prayed. You just always wind up in the same place of discouragement again and again. It is the one thing the devil has used to keep you where he's got you right now. Don't you think it's time you break out of that? Don't you think it's time you quit walking around that same mountain and just let God prove his wonder-working power to your mind and in your life tonight? Hallelujah. God will. God wants to. God can. Look at me here, church. Just say it with me. God can. God can. I don't care what it is. I don't care who it is. I don't care who says it. I don't care what authority they have. I don't care what the conditions may look like. I don't care what the circumstances are. Amen. God can. Oh, hallelujah. That leper looked at Jesus and said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me whole. And Jesus said, I can and I will. And he healed him. I want to tell you, God wants to move for somebody here tonight. Come, church, let's gather around this altar this evening and let's make up our minds. As individuals, as a church,